Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Truth and Life Today. Just a reminder that if you're watching Truth and Life Today, you can also watch on iTunes, on YouTube. And today we have an incredible group of questions that have come from our listeners that we're going to talk to Dr. Newfeld about. And we're going to start right off the bat, Dr. Newfeld, with a whole area of the Holy Spirit in our understanding of how the Holy Spirit works and, and, and the gifts of the Spirit and how they function today. I thought it was important, though, to start out with a bit of a definition. And the definition is in respect to a word that many theologians know, but maybe a lot of lay people don't, and that's that word cessationism. Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah, and, and if I might say, Ben, uh, once we explain it, everyone's going to say, yeah, I, I know what that's yeah. all about. So cessationism basically means that there are some gifts of the Holy Spirit that have ceased at the end of the first century. Typically, people will talk about those nine gifts that are there in the beginning of 1 Corinthians 12, and there will be tongues and prophecy, the interpretation of tongues, the gift of miracles. Um, so we have those nine that are listed there, and those are the contentious ones. Okay. Some say, They've ceased, and others say, no, they continue to go on. So a cessationist typically is one who will argue that at the end of the first century, when the Bible was actually completed, okay. it no longer became necessary to have a gift of prophecy, for instance, because we now have the, the written text of Scripture. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's the difference. Yeah. So then I guess we have to ask your perspective. Yeah, now I'm going to say that in some ways, every single believer is a cessationist. And here's what I'm going to say. We all believe that the writing of Scripture has ceased, yes? Yeah. So with the final book being written, the, book, the Bible now is a closed book, and that is there's nothing more to be added to it. So that ceased. Now my perspective, however, is that there's nothing in the Bible that tells us that any of the gifts have ceased. So I, in fact, am open to all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit being in operation today. Uh, without exception. And when I say that, I don't mean that the apostolic office is a gift of the Holy Spirit. I think it's an office, so I make a distinction between an office and the gifts. So you talk about the apostolic gifts or being an apostle in yeah. essence. So what does that look like? Explain that more to me. Yeah, so this is very important because there is a denomination called the apostolic denomination, but most of the people that are watching this should also be aware that the Roman Catholic Church argues that the apostolic office continues to go on. They believe that the Pope is an apostle, and therefore he carries equal weight with Peter and Paul and so forth. So from their perspective, you know, the, the, the ongoing giving of doctrinal commands can continue today by an ongoing Pope. But okay. that is instructive. So we might ask ourselves, therefore, what's an apostle? So let me read to you. I've got Mark 13, or sorry, Mark 3, 13 to 15 in front of me. And uh, here's Jesus speaking. It says, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him, and he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, it says, so that they might be with him. He might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Um, so we need to understand that the apostles were understood as people who had been directly trained by Jesus. They were with him. And according to John 14, Jesus promises them that when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they were going to have supernatural recall to remember everything that he has taught so that they can write these things so that we might have assurance that the things that we read when we read the New Testament written by the apostles are in fact the very words of Jesus. I understand the apostolic office to be that way, directly trained by Christ 
and given a supernatural authority that was not given any other Christian. That is to set the basis for our own faith. In Ephesians chapter three, the apostle Paul says that our faith is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. So he's the cornerstone and just like any foundation of a house, it's built once and for all. The rest of us now are building on the foundation that was laid. So the foundation of the apostles lays once for all the doctrine of the church. So from my vantage point, that does not get repeated. Okay. And that's why we argue that the, that the Bible is the final authority. It is apostolic authority. So in essence, we had the apostles in the New Testament. Yeah. Now the scriptures have taken the place of the apostles. That's exactly correct. So it's fascinating to me when I read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. It's a verse that's commonly quoted when we talk about discipling people. Those things that you have seen and heard in me teach also to faithful men who will be able to teach others. So you have this, this generational line of continuing to teach. And so Paul makes very clear that after him there are those who are able to teach. He talks about the ongoing gift of the elder who is to lead the local church but never in the entire Bible is provision made to replace the apostles. Okay. Every other office gets replaced with the exception of that one. So with that understanding then, we recognize that the Bible in essence is the sole authority then. Yeah, it, it plays a unique role yeah. and the office of the apostle was a unique office. Okay. You know, sometimes people will talk about small a and big a apostles. I find that that's confusing language rather than helpful language. So sometimes people will say a small a apostle would be like a missionary who establishes the gospel in a culture that's never heard it before. Sure. So they'll say that's an apostolic kind of a function. But we need to make very clear that the person who does that takes his Bible with him and what that person is doing is teaching the apostolic doctrine. Yeah. So, you know, historically the church has been uh, able to say that the, the definition of a true church as opposed to a false one is that a true church is apostolic in nature. Yeah. It, it is grounded in the doctrine of the apostles. And I would say that too, and I think we would hear it back the Bible. So I think the other question would go along with that. We have to be very cautious of those that would suggest that they are apostles. I'm always very cautious. And in fact, not just cautious, I'm dismissive of them. I don't accept the claim. Um, so the reason why um, you, know, you and I are Protestants, Ben, yeah. is because we simply said that the Pope can do no more than to follow the one truth that has forever been laid down. Yeah. Um, so if he does not do that, he is out of line and, uh, and therefore must, be, must repent and submit to the apostolic doctrine. Let's move on a little bit. That, that was great. But let's move on to some of the questions that we receive regarding specific gifts yeah. and the exercising of those gifts. Uh, for example, one of them that comes up is prophecy. Maybe you can help us understand what prophecy is and maybe how, how biblically it might be facilitated today. Yeah. So, you know, this is one of the reasons why there are a number of people who are cessationists because they fear the gift of prophecy. Okay. If prophecy is allowed today, I mean, so the argument goes, if we allow it, then we're going to have people that are going to be adding on to the scripture and say, I got this from God yeah. too. And you know, Peter and Paul got this from God, but I got something from God as well. Okay. So from my reading of the New Testament literature, there is the apostolic gift, which is unique 
And uh, there is a, a, a gift of prophecy, and I'm going to give an example, and that would be the prophet Ab Agabus. Okay. Agabus is found in a number of chapters in the, in the book of Acts. And Agabus predicts by the Holy Spirit there's going to be a famine in Jerusalem. Uh, he predicts by the Holy Spirit that when Paul goes to Jerusalem, he's going to be bound hand and foot. And so there's something that we learn from Agabus, and that is whenever Agabus gives a word, it's, it's a time-specific issue. That is, he speaks to a specific issue and to a specific group of people. He never gives what we might call a supracultural truth. Okay, help us understand that. Yeah, a more, so yeah. a supracultural truth is a truth that escapes its time. Doesn't matter whether you and I are talking about this, Ben, or whether yeah. they're talking about this in China or, or in India. It doesn't matter where they are, it's true for them. Okay. But Agabus was speaking about something that was specific happening in his region. And so I'm arguing that the biblical gift of prophecy is specific and it's specific to a person and to a time and it never deals with doctrinal truth. That's good. So it would never add to the Word of God. It would never be right. uh, uh, beyond what the Word of God is saying, but it would be specific to a time. Yeah, and I would even go further. Not only is that the case, but when someone says, I have a word of prophecy that this is what this text in the Bible actually means, I discount them immediately. Uh, because that's what the illumination of the Holy Spirit does. Okay. So all of us are, are called upon to put our own pride aside, to actually read the text, study the text, yeah. and even when it you know, disrupts my fine view of myself, I am to take it as it's written. Okay. But anyone who says, the Lord has shown me what this means, mm -hmm. um, I discount them immediately. That's not the gift of prophecy. Interesting, interesting. Uh, another issue that comes up when we talk about spiritual gifts, obviously, is the gift of tongues. Yeah. And uh, help me understand maybe why we think there's so much, there's just so much disagreement, or historically there has been. Yeah, there has been, because uh, for some individuals, the gift of tongues was tied to a second blessing, which was called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the gift of tongues was evidence then, the only evidence, the defining mark that you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. So Ben, if you don't speak in tongues, and I have on several occasions, so I'll say that openly, yeah. but I will not say that it is any sign of a heightened level of spirituality. If I understand the gift of tongues correctly, every time we see it mentioned in the New Testament, it is a language of praise and utterance of adoration to the Lord. Prophecy is a word from the Lord to someone else, but tongues is a, a word to the Lord from our own hearts. So the Holy Spirit is in fact enabling us to praise and to worship in a way that's, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's different mm -hmm. than, than the normal experience. So help me understand the, the, the tongues that's referred to in the book of Acts. Yeah. yeah, so in, in Acts, the first reference that we have is in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. Okay. And you'll remember that people said, we heard them speaking in our own native language. Correct. Yeah. Now, I've said it a number of times, you know, tongue is an old English word. You know, we could yeah. say right now, we are speaking now in the English tongue. Yeah. But really, when we update our language, we say we're speaking in the English language. Okay. And I actually think we would help our cause a lot if we took the Bible translations and simply said it's the gift of languages, because that's what it is. It's the ability to speak in a different language, but on the day of Pentecost, the message that was given by Peter to repent and come to Christ, that was not given in the gift of languages. That's in the language that they all understood. 
But the tongues that are mentioned, there is the language of adoration. They said, we hear them speaking the mighty acts of God in our own languages. You know, Parthenians and Medes and, you know, whatever, Elamites and whatever else that was there. All these different languages. They heard people who never were able to speak these languages uttering praise to God in languages they'd never heard before. That's the gift of tongues. So is there different forms of tongues? Yeah, then? that always gets asked. And the reason it gets asked is because you'll remember in 1 Corinthians 13, yeah. Paul says, I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. So there are those that argue that there must be an angelic tongue. And if that's the case, I mean, there's no Bible teaching on this matter. Okay. I mean, you have that one reference, so what are we to make of that? Yeah. So I think what we, we should say is even if there is an angelic language, which seems likely, um, then it seems to me it's still a real language. In other words, it's never gobbledygook. It's always real discernible language with rules of grammar. And so I'm going to argue whenever that gift is real, it actually comes as real language. How do you understand the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament when it comes uh, to uh, the function of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, that one is the, is the $64 question because Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and he seems to indicate that he will be living within us. Yeah. And yet, we have so many Old Testament texts that seem to speak that very same kind of language. I mean, even when the Holy Spirit isn't directly mentioned, uh, we have texts like, you know, um, men who walked with God. Enoch walked with God and was no more. The Lord took him. You know, Abraham is justified by faith. He believes the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. So you have all of this kind of function, which we know when we come to the New Testament is only possible by the Holy Spirit. And then on top of that, you have some other language that seems to speak about the Holy Spirit living within. So after David sins with Bathsheba, he writes Psalm 51, and part of his confession for his sin is, take not your Holy Spirit from me, as if the Holy Spirit was his abiding presence. Hmm. And so you have those kind of experiences in the Old Testament, which seem to indicate that in the Old Testament, that believers knew the reality of the Holy Spirit and walked redeemed lives because of the activity of the Holy Spirit. Okay. But I think on the day of Pentecost, something unique happens. Jesus has now shed his blood for our sins and offers us salvation through faith in his blood. And so what the Holy Spirit does for us now, he enables us to have specific faith in Christ himself and in the gospel that comes from him. And the Holy Spirit also gives us something that the Old Testament believers never had. And that is the power of evangelism. Yeah. I mean, you see so little evangelism in the Old Testament. You see people fighting wars with pagans, but you never see them winning them to the gospel. Yeah. But that's filled with the pages of the New Testament. Yeah. Suddenly the, the, the gospel, that, which was there in seminal form in the Old Testament, just goes global, it goes viral to use our language. And what is that? The Holy Spirit's been poured out in a new way, I think, to give us power to share the gospel. So we're conducting war in a whole new way. We sure are, yeah. with the, by the power of the by Holy Spirit. By the power Spirit. of the Holy Spirit. Yep. So if somebody was to come to you right now and they wanted to accept Christ into their lives, yeah. what would you say is the role of the Holy Spirit for those people? Yes, very good question. I mean, the, the, the gospel is always the same. But the Holy Spirit in the life of any individual, I love what the book of Acts says, for instance, of Lydia, you know, first convert in Europe. 
And so we're told that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul was saying. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He opens our hearts. I mean, some theologians, I'd be one of them, Ben, who would talk about something called effectual calling. And that is, there is an effectual call of the Holy Spirit. It's effective. And so it grasps a hold of the heart, and it just makes the, the gospel so lovely. I remember sitting across the table, much like what we're at now, Ben, and and I was with a guy who was raised as an atheist. And we had a conversation that must have spanned about two, three hours. And at the end of it, I said to him, you know, it seems to me that you're ready to say yes to Jesus right now. And he said, it must be because it feels like my heart is on fire, he said. (laughs) And what is that? See, the Holy Spirit gave life to a heart that was dead and unreceptive to anything in the gospel. Because of sin, no human being would ever respond to Christ. Yeah. It's the Holy Spirit's role to take a dead heart and make it alive. Yeah. That's, the key, that's the key word. You know, in the next few weeks, uh, one of the things we'll be talking about is, is the Bible, is inerrancy. What is the Holy Spirit's role when it comes to the Word of God? Yeah, you know, see, I think that the, the Spirit and the Word always are intended to function together. Um, So we don't hold to an activity of the Holy Spirit apart from the Word. The the Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit. That the men who wrote the Word, every single book of the Bible, every word in the Bible was inspired by the Holy Spirit. He gave life to it so that it was written. So that speaking out the Word, we are speaking the Holy Spirit's words. So I'm always less enamored. I mean, we've talked about prophecy, and yes, I'm not a cessationist, but I'll tell you this, I will take one word from Scripture over a thousand words of prophecy because this, this is the word of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so that, that's, the, that's the glory of, the, of what we're doing. Thanks so much, John. And we look forward to future episodes. We're going to be talking about the Bible. Uh, We're going to be talking about the Trinity, which is really exciting, and so many other issues of faith. So thanks for what you've been able to provide for us today. Thank you, Ben. We hope you're enjoying the new Truth in Life Today show with Dr. John Newfeld. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode each week. But we want you to be involved in the show. To submit your own personal questions to Dr. John, you can email us at info at backtothebible.ca or find us on Facebook by searching Truth in Life Today.